You're listening to the Story Embers podcast, a podcast dedicated to guiding and inspiring Christian storytellers to glorify God with excellent craftsmanship. I'm your host, Grace Livingston, and welcome to episode 16. I'm Grace Livingston. I'm Josiah DeGraff. I'm Rolina Hatfield. And I'm Dan Slam. And today we're discussing one of, if not the most commonly heard piece of writing advice. Show, don't tell. Why is showing instead of telling such a big deal? Is there ever a time when you should tell instead of show? We'll dive into these questions and more later. But for right now, let's start at the beginning. What exactly does it mean to show instead of tell? Yeah, so a good brief definition of show, don't tell would be that um, show don't tell is all about providing clues for the reader to come to the conclusion you want them to come to rather than giving them the conclusion. So if you want to convey the a character feels a certain way, instead of saying the character feels that way, have them have actions, thoughts, anything of that sort that would convey that feeling. And show don't tell is a broad subject. It applies to a lot of things, but it it's always comes down to are you using clues or are you giving the conclusion? Wow, that was... Very succinct. Yeah, I know. Well done, Dave. The one-man show. <laughs> okay, so moving on from there, what are some of the biggest pitfalls of telling instead of showing that you guys have seen in the works of other writers? One of the things that bugs me, and it bugs me because I, you know, I, I probably see this in too many, too many stories written by by writers who are still developing, is when a character is when a character is feeling things and we're just told, you know, Bob was sad or she felt really angry about this. He was really happy to, to see this and other such very simple language like that. And the reason that bugs me is because there's just so much missed impact. When I say a book, say this character felt sad. All right. That's great. I know the character said, but I don't feel any of that sadness because if you really want to emote emotions in the reader, you need to find, you know, some language that's vivid enough in order to help the reader feel the same thing. And unfortunately, if the only language you're using to describe the emotions is very simple language, that's not going to be vivid enough for me as a reader. And I see a lot of writers missing a lot of opportunities on that front because they're telling it instead of showing. Right. I think what uh, Josiah said is correct because... Show don't tell is important because if you cannot impact the reader in a way that they will understand or be reached, if they have not felt what you're trying to convey, then mm. you have to you have to be able to paint it in a way that they will be able to pick up on the way that that you're trying to make them feel. I think part of the reason why you know I you know as you're describing verbal pictures and you know the ability for that movie. A bit, and the ability of that to move readers, I think part of that just has to do with the fact that some turns of phrase are just too familiar with us to evoke emotions anymore. Like maybe that, you know, when you were a kid and you were reading the f picture books, the first time you read Charlie was sad, that actually hits you. But after you read that hundreds of times, you know, anything with repetition hits you less, which means mm -hmm. if you really want to move readers, you're going to need to do something different. You're going to need to do something a bit less well done, a bit more unique to pull off that same effect. Mm-hmm. What about you, Dace? Well, I actually brought a list of a couple of things. Of course he did. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, this is one of my favorite topics. Um, so just to start off, 
one general principle I like to keep in mind is to describe how an event happens, not just what happens. Uh, what happens is the, the bare bone facts, like Charlie stole Emma's car. But describing how that happened is what, what's actually interesting. Um, I just give a very, very basic example. Normally you have an example where what's probably more likely is you'll run across something like Charlie walked across the room, which may be important just for uh, developing the space and where people are. Um, but in itself, it's not interesting. But how he walks across the room can tell us a lot about Charlie. Um, and so always keeping in mind to describe how things are happening is important. Uh, one area I see a lot of trouble with for new and developed writers is um, having internal monologue dumps that show share, uh, character psychology in a way that's not entirely natural. Uh, I'm trying to think of an example off the top of my head. If you read YA, you're probably uh, brainwashed into thinking this is normal. Um, <laughs> <laughs> man, just, down the birds tonight. Yeah, days. yeah. Just, just being honest. Um, but you'll have things like, "Oh, why did father treat me with this way? He made me who I am. Now I'll never escape who I am." That's a little bit exaggerated, but you'll see something kind of like that in a lot of books. And so one problem with this is that it's not entirely natural. In my opinion, it's an exaggerated version of what goes on in our heads. But even if it was natural, um, it still is conveying so much information to the reader to the point where it just feels like it's dumped on them. And readers really want the joy of discovering things themselves. Um, and when you really go out and lay out a character's whole psychology, it's like they never got the chance to meet this character. One solution writers can apply to this is to just do what I call beating around the bush, where you address or the character's monologue kind of goes in a circle around the idea you want to convey without stating it directly. Mm -hmm. So instead of saying, oh, why did father do this to me? He made me this way and I'll never escape. Um, it'd be something more like father made growing up hard there are things ingrained in me that I'm still working on. What can I what can I do to get out of this? I've tried again and tried timing time again. Uh, that's still a little blatant, but it's it's much more natural. Uh, it's much more, I guess, circuitous. It goes around in the random scattered way our brains work. Mm. Yeah, no, that's that definitely rings home for me as being one of you know a, a common mistake I, I see that's that's really important because I, I think sometimes you know when when newer writers are still learning the ropes of, of show don't tell one of the things that they're trying to do is they're trying to commu communicate to us who the, the character is which is good um, but as you you know as you said it's important that they do things naturally because if you're talking if you've ever you know talked with someone about something really deep and important in real life probably they didn't just come out and just put their deep dark secrets just right on the floor just like that it's yeah. gonna deal dig, deal you know it's gonna involve some some digging and some prodding it's going to take a lot of time for someone to, to speak like that because for most people that's just not who we are to just immediately drop everything like that mm -hmm. well i was thinking specifically with internal monologue but it's, oh. yeah it's similar in that we find even ourselves complicated and we sometimes have trouble piecing through our own psychology. Mm -hmm. um, one other common area would be 
just giving broad overviews of what happened, which can be a perfectly fine stylistic choice, but it does always mean that you've got, you're doing more of the describing what happens and less of how it happens. Uh, sometimes it's necessary, but it'll just be less vivid overall. So you have to keep in mind you're making that sacrifice. And I think often people make that sacrifice too much. Character filters is one. That's where you say something like, uh, John felt the sheep brush against his leg. Well, it's kind of like the, the telephone game where as many people as the first sentence goes through, um, it gets distorted and less meaningful. Um, so having that character in between you and the sensation makes it less vivid. So instead of saying John felt the sheep, just have the sheep brush John's leg. Um, and that way it's, it's more vivid, it's more sensory and shown. And you'll also make your editor much happier as a person. You, you do, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I had Brianna pound me on this many, many times. <laughs> That's how I learned. Eventually she teaches you how to avoid them. Yes. <laughs> we'll be right back after this break. Stay tuned. Am I really called to be a writer? Is writing worth my time when most writers fail? How can I write when work, family, and other responsibilities fill my schedule? Last month, Story Embers released Cultivating a Mindset for Success, a free video course designed to answer these questions and help Christian storytellers re-examine their view of how to become a successful writer. Featuring interviews with authors Sarah Sundin and Jaquel Ferris, this free course takes you through a one-week challenge to boost your motivation and help you create an effective writing mindset. Visit storyembers.org mindset to learn more and get your free training today. Welcome back, everyone. I'm with SC staffers Josiah DeGraff, Rolina Hatfield, and Daya Slam, and we're revisiting the old writing adage, show, don't tell. So guys, so far you've tackled what show, don't tell actually means and explored some of the biggest pitfalls of telling instead of showing that you've seen in other writers' works and how to avoid these pitfalls yourself. Do you have any further tips or techniques you'd recommend to writers struggling with show, don't tell, or have we just about covered all of those already? The one, perhaps not technique, the, the one resource I'd recommend on this topic is The Emotions Thesaurus by Angela Ackerman and Becca Puglisi. I was actually using it just an hour or so ago when hmm. I was finishing up some uh, some tweaks on my on, on rewriting the first draft of my current work in progress. I mean, basically what the work is, is it's just giving you for different emotions, a different list of different body language and, you know, internal reactions you can add to characters and it is one of the most helpful resources i've found for just helping you know me get really practical in showing those emotions because all of us have you know your three to four body language quirks that we like to have all of our characters doing all the time my <laughs> characters bite their lips a lot and at one point one of my editors was like you got to have your character stop mauling your their lips all the time <laughs> so, it's a great way to to get around the how do you deal with, with bot you know depict body language without just having all of your characters do the same thing all the time. I, I had the exact same problem with people biting their lips. <laughs> yes. Okay. So last question for today: Is there ever a time when it's okay to tell instead of show? I guess I would say it's okay to tell when something does need to be summarized because it doesn't have a direct impact on moving the plot forward or the character um, arc in general. So like say say that you have a detective who needs to get permission from his administrative office to move forward with something, but it necessarily doesn't do anything 
um, for his plot. He just needs that permission in order to make it legal to move forward. You could tell the audience he got permission and then he was on the plane going, you know, wherever it would be and then pick up the description from there. Um, so yeah, that's when I would say it would be appropriate to tell. Yeah, I'd I'd largely agree agree with that statement. You know, make make the determining factor by whether or not it's you know important to the story. We do not need to be shown a guy driving twenty miles to work unless has story impact. Please no. <laughs> will not complain if you just tell us he drove to work. Yes, please no. Days. All right. Uh, two things I wrote down for this is one time when it's good to tell is when you're not just telling, but there's some artistic reason for it. And one guy who's really brilliant at this is, um, I think his name's pronounced Zuzek. It's the guy here with the book thief. Mm. Um, yeah, he's brilliant at this. There's one phrase I wrote down. Unfortunately, I didn't get the context written, but I think this is on the train earlier in the book. And the phrase is bits and pieces of shattered despair. Mm. Now, um, this would seem to violate what we said at the beginning of this podcast. Like, don't just state the direct emotion. Um, and yeah, he has stated the direct emotion, but he does know he does so in a way that's vivid and artistic and actually makes us view it in a new light. So in that case, it was very well done. Um, and then the last example I can think of for one is actually a really good time to tell is if you're going for a storyteller uh, vibe. Um, it, this is where there's like a very clear narrator and it's just really enjoyable. I think of the Hobbit as a great example. I feel like there's this grandpa figure at the fireplace and all children gathered around listening to tell him, uh, listening to him tell this old tale of times past. And there's such a charm in feeling like there's someone actually talking to you. And to do that, you really need to have more telling. Mm. One thing I'd add on to that point about narrator is I think um, the, the age of the audience you're writing to matters as well here. Can often get away with a lot more telling in children's fiction. You know, I think of something like The Lord of the Rings. You know, there's a lot of telling in The Lord of the Ring, or sorry, not not The Lord of the Rings, Chronicles of Narnia. There's <laughs> a lot of telling in the Chronicles of Narnia. And it works because A, it's written for children, and B, because Lewis has the right authorial voice to pull it off. Yeah. But just because Lewis can do it in the Chronicles of Narnia does not mean that's necessarily the right fit for your book. Mm-hmm. Thanks for joining me, you guys, and thank you, listeners, for tuning in. As always, you can learn more about each of the staffers on today's episode at storyembers.org about. And special thanks to our Patreon supporters, Taylor Cloxton and Michael Stanton. Now it's your turn. What common telling errors have you seen in other writers' works? Do you think there are times when it's appropriate to tell instead of show? Let us know in the comments. We'd love to hear from you. And finally, join me again on September 21st for the next episode of the Story Embers podcast. I'll be right back. <laughs> there goes the laughter. Yeah. Hey guys, guys, we already got recording going on in here, so okay. <laughs> See, this is the one benefit of being single and being the only one in your apartment <laughs> and never have these problems. I'm just saying. This is true. That's nice. Good for you, Josiah. <laughs> <laughs>